Hello and welcome to Drabblecast, episode 17. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast featuring stories of an atypical nature. Strange stories by strange authors for strange listeners such as yourself. You're bound to be grossed out, disturbed, or even entertained by the things you find here. And if not, hey, it was only 15 minutes of your life. That's not even 10% of the time you wasted watching Pirates of the Caribbean 3 this weekend. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Well, in the wake of the epic America's Next Top Super Animal Deathmatch competition of the last few weeks, we here at the Drabblecast thought it would be fun to start a new competition. One that involves you listeners even more. It's time for the Drabblecast Haiku Contest. Haikus have three lines. Five, seven, five syllables. Jabocast haiku. <laughs> Little uh, haiku about haikus there for ya. So, you listeners get two weeks to send in haikus to our panel of haiku experts which consists of myself and Drabblecast contributors Luke Coddington and Kendall Marchman. We'll select five of the most drabbly poems to read on episode 20 of the Drabblecast the following week. These poems will be put up on the website and the Facebook forum. You listeners then get two more weeks to vote on your favorite haiku, which will be announced on Drabblecast episode 22. Remember, this is a Drabblecast haiku contest. These haikus must be of an atypical nature. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Norm, why should I send in a haiku? That's 17 words. That's a hell of a lot of work, and I expect to be compensated for my work. Well, uh, how's this for compensation, bitches? The winner not only gets the honor of being known throughout the Drabblecast community as the haiku champion, he or she also gets to be a character in episode 23 the following week. And here's the clincher, people. Episode 23 is the conclusion of the Black and White Animals saga. That's right. You might save the world from the clenches of alien invaders. Or you might get eaten by a panda. You don't know. But whatever happens to you, I promise, it'll be amazing. So send in your submissions to goatkeeper at hotmail.com or post them on the Facebook forum. If you're not a member of the forum, go to facebook.com, register, and search for Drabblecast. It's a little bit of work, but I gotta say, the posts and discussion in there are well worth it. Do the words male lactation tickle your fancy? Uh, Speaking of fancy tickling, on to today's story. Morton by Adam Carvin. Adam is also responsible for the Drabblecast story Epiphany, and if you love being grossed out and depressed by that little piece, just wait till you hear this. Without further ado, Morton by Adam Carvin. God, I hate him. Words can't describe. It's not anything in particular about him, it's just absolutely everything. 
everything about him is gross, obnoxious, and annoying as hell. The way he breathes, slowly, loudly, out of his mouth, because his nose is always clogged with snot. His thin, greasy strands of unkempt hair always matted on one side from napping, which is his one hobby besides downloading and meticulously organizing anything pornographic that's been animated in Japan. The bags under his eyes, which are always half-closed like he's just woken up, are magnified through his huge, thick-framed bifocals, which make it particularly disturbing when he stares dumbly at you. He's been staring at me with that glazed-over, completely expressionless face for something like ten minutes now. He's not interested in me. I think he's just too lazy to look anywhere else. How can I help but stare back at him? I'm so wrapped up in loathing, so fascinated with his ability to bring this hatred out of me, not by doing anything, just by his total lack of human productivity and worthlessness. Morton Lugs. It was as if his mother had known exactly what he'd become when she gave him that name, which seems to suggest a clod of mucus deep in the back of your throat when you say that name. Morton Lugs. He was a genetic disaster, holding in his impressive repertoire of infirmities asthma, severe lactose intolerance, a disposition to rashes, acute ugliness, a chronic blob shape, and an allergy to anything you can find on the periodic table. One might sympathize with him for these things if he weren't extraordinarily irritable and lethargic all the time. Why, just moments ago, his left nostril began glistening with runny mucus. Now it's formed into a definite drop, and I can actually watch it trickle down his lip at a snail's pace. I wanted to look away, but I was mesmerized with revulsion. It doesn't bother him one bit. He's oblivious to the snot leaking down his face, just like he's oblivious to how much I hate him. He's too lazy to wipe it off. He knows it'll dribble out again in a minute, so what's the use? He had flown in, uninvited, to stay with me and my wife for a week while his apartment building was being renovated. Grace, my wife, had made me pick him up from the airport and also made me promise to be patient with him. She had a wonderfully charitable heart, and I couldn't fault her for that. In fact, I often wondered if she would have married a cynical jerk like me if she hadn't been blessed with the patience of Job and the kindness of Mother Teresa. But there were times when her charity extended too far, like when she made me deal with her cousin, Morton. I had rounded the corner of the terminal and first saw him slouched on a bench with his bags and things piled messily around him, his first response upon seeing me was to droop over his chair with a muffled, Took you long enough? I had driven two hours 
through heavy traffic to pick him up, and there wasn't so much of a hint of gratitude in his voice. Well, we should probably get going then, I said, taking his larger bag for him. In a minute, he mumbled through the congestion-stopped-up face. He took in a deep breath through his mouth and began to let out a long-drawn sigh, but it was interrupted by a clot of something thick in the back of his throat, choking it off. He coughed up whatever the hell it was, swallowed it with a grunt, then finished his sigh right where it left off. He continued to just sit there, as if gathering his will for the pure effort of just standing up. And so it was that I found myself sitting across from him, staring back into his blank, stupid face for several agonizing minutes, studying his ugliness, brooding over my hatred for him. Abruptly, he broke the silence with a grunt and a guttural heave as he hoisted himself upright. I stood as well and slung his deceptively heavy bag over my shoulder. Jesus, Morden, what's in this thing? Be careful with that. It's got all my anime porn in it. He snapped at me loudly. A couple glanced nervously at us as they passed by. Shut up, Morton. Don't say that so loud. The bag suddenly felt dingy, and I didn't want to touch it anymore. You shut up. You'd better be careful with my porn. I swear if you mess any of it up, it's probably worth more than your stupid car. Needless to say, Morton didn't have a car. Several more people were awkwardly backing away, and I was thoroughly embarrassed. Usually, Morton was a big, droopy blob of apathy, the pure embodiment of the word. But he would occasionally break from his lethargy to show a tantrum in public over something shockingly stupid like this. Like a bitter, spoiled child, he was making a noisy scene without any regard to his surroundings, admitting to the fortune he'd spent on a library of animated pornography should be extremely embarrassing. Everyone around us was completely embarrassed for him, but not Morton. Morton didn't get embarrassed. I felt like I was swimming through an atmosphere thick with awkwardness and discomfort as I turned and began walking to the parking garage. How can a person be so utterly devoid of self-awareness? For that matter, how could a 34-year-old be so plastered with acne? Glancing behind me, I couldn't help but notice the decoupage of zits that would glow an even brighter red when he was angry. The spots on his face that weren't riddled with the craters of acne scars were bulging red or white with new ones. His oily, fat, pizza face made a used petri dish seem sterile, and little pockets of frothy spit had formed in the corners of his lips after he warned me to be careful with his precious cargo. As we approached the airport's exit, we passed some vending machines 
and Morton scuttled up in front of me and excitedly asked me for some change. I told him to just wait, that Grace would have dinner for us when we got home, and besides, all I had was a five. He continued to just stand there in front of me, with an eager look in his eyes, as if he were still waiting for an answer, because the one answer he had heard wasn't what he was looking for. He was standing entirely too close, like he always does, right in my face. I could feel and smell his disgusting breath, the breath of a mouth-breather, the breath of a man who must have had a cold since the day he was born, thirty-four unfortunate years ago. I dug out my five-dollar bill and stuffed it in his hand. It seemed like a small price to pay to get that breath off of me. He giggled and actually quivered with excitement as he shuffled over to the vending machine. I'll pull the car around, I said. I knew the car ride home was going to be the worst part of my day. Morton was eating a bag of Funyuns and an oatmeal cream pie and it was like he had a microphone amplifying the clinking sound of the bags as he'd stuff his fat fingers in and rummage around, grasping eagerly for the treats. Those fingers coated in artificial onion powder, which he would greedily smear over his tongue over every morsel. That sound was driving me crazy, but that smell, that was the worst. That smell of Funyuns mixed with his distinct body odor with faint traces of urine. And wait, what was that? God damn it, Morton, I yelled as I cranked down the window hard enough to tear the knob off. Morton didn't say a word, just looked over at me with an annoyed expression, as if to say, I should grow up. With my head out the window for fresh air, I brooded deeper in my hatred for this vile lump of flesh named Morton. There was something in particular that made his farts above and beyond any type of disgusting you've been exposed to before. The repulsive effect went beyond their actual smell and into his very nature as a person. He produced them casually, consistently, unapologetically. They were a sickly, sweet sort of rancid odor that would assault your lungs like nerve gas, affecting not just your olfactory glands, but your very mind. Because just knowing what created that gas and where it came from, the depths of Morton Lugg's putrid bowels, the idea would turn your stomach more than the smell itself. I was seriously losing my mind. It occurred to me that since meeting up with Morton, I hadn't had a single thought that wasn't about how much I hated him. I was obsessed with it, consumed with the desire to hurt him somehow, to repay him for being what he was. Determined to drown out these thoughts, I turned on the radio. Paul McCartney was just beginning to tell me everything was going to be all right. When Morton turned it back off, leaving a smudge of grease and onion powder on the dial. I don't listen to that, he stated, taking a loud gulp of strawberry quick.
The freaking Beatles? Are you serious? Morden had just stuffed a wad of oatmeal cream pie in his mouth, but answered on. American music is overrated. You could actually hear the thick, gooey oatmeal cream coating the back of his throat as he casually wrote off the brilliant music of an entire continent with one sweeping generalization. Instinctively, I began compiling my defenses against such an ignorant statement. First off, the Beatles were British, and secondly, he was a moron. But I didn't want to argue about it. I couldn't bear the thought of having to hear him talk with that oatmeal cream pie in his mouth anymore, so I let it go. Suddenly, a large green blur appeared in the middle of the road. Barely recognizing the figure's shape as human, I slammed on the brakes and jerked the steering wheel. We swerved off the road into a steep ditch, and our car did three full barrel rolls before coming to a smashing halt. Several moments of shock passed in silence before Morton and I, finding ourselves mostly unharmed, stumbled out of the car. Are you okay? I asked. Morton didn't respond. He just stared over my shoulder with wide eyes. I turned to trace his gaze and was met with the visage of a huge, muscular green man in the road who had floated down the ditch towards us. A black mask covered most of his face, which betrayed a wrinkled jaw and coarse white hair indicating an age greatly incongruent with his bulky physique. A thick cloak flapped in the wind behind him as he hovered to a stop just in front of us. I stumbled back against the crushed hood of my car in shock. Do not fear me, humans, the old green man announced powerfully. I am George of the Green Watch, one of the eleven guardians of the universe. Through the immeasurable power granted us through our rings, we bring peace and justice to the world such as yours. I fear my end is drawing near, as the ring has led me to this place, so that it may choose a new successor. Which of you will take up this awesome burden? You will surely be... I will! Morton cut him off stepping forward and reaching out his hand for the ring. Very well, young one. You have spoken with sincerity and without the fear which chokes your companion. Wait! No! I jumped in. I began stuttering off an explanation. I I'm not afraid. I just had to think things through. Uh, you see, Morton, he's just... He's oblivious to the way things actually work in reality, so he doesn't have to sort any of this out or make sense of it. Don't give him that. You have no idea how much of a waste it would be. The ring has made its choice, the old man stated, not so much as glancing at me. He reached out his gloved hand, and a large green orbed ring with a strange symbol etched onto it drifted off his finger and magnetically flew onto Morton's. Guard it well, new keeper. 
A great responsibility comes with this power bestowed upon you today. Many will be envious and seek its power for their own gain. No, that's what he'll do, I jumped in again, pleading desperately, but still completely ignored. He's never done anything for anyone. You're making a huge mistake. The old man closed his eyes and began chanting something as he faded into a translucent green mist. In forest dark or glade be ferned, no blade of grass shall go unturned. Let those who have the daylight spurned tread not where this green light has burned. And with that, he was gone. With heart pounding, mind racing, I still tried to figure out a way to stop this terrible injustice. I looked at Morden, who had discarded his glasses and was inspecting his new ring. A slow, lazy smile drifted across his face. You... You can't. You won't know what to do with it, I stuttered. Ignoring me, he turned towards the wreckage of my car, and with a wave of his hand, the hatch of my trunk ripped off and flew into the woods. His bag, the one which contained his animated pornography collection, floated out and drifted magically into his hand, and then... With the same giddy chuckle he had given for the airport vending machine, Morden flew off in an explosion of green light. My vision became clouded with moisture as the reality of what had just happened set in. I dwelled upon the great injustice of the opportunity I had just missed, or greater still, the one Morton, of all people, had taken. Truly, there was no God, no sense of justice. With tears rolling down my eyes, I fumbled in my pocket for my cell phone, and I called Grace. I'm going to be late for dinner, I whispered. that's our story. I hope you liked it. In my opinion, the only thing worse than seeing bad things happen to good people is seeing good things happen to bad people. From the frat guys with upside-down visors and popped collars who managed to get hot girlfriends, to the greedy European explorers who discovered continents, annihilated the native population with diseases, and then inherited the vast land and wealth. I mean, the world is full of injustice, isn't it? Maybe that's why we get so excited about things like Paris Hilton going to jail. It's not that the news media chooses to ignore big issues of genocide around the world in favor of airing endless streams of information about, I don't know, Nicole Richie slowly dissolving like a Tylenol PM tablet. It's just that they want to give us a break. 
Give us hope. Show us that things aren't so bad and there's balance and justice and order in the world we live in. I mean, I don't know exactly how to pronounce Darfur or where the Sudan is, but I know Paula Abdul has a drinking problem and she needs an intervention in the worst way. And just to be fair and not to come across as preachy, I'll admit I'm not really sure where the Sudan is. I mean, I know it's in Africa, sure, but I mean specifically? I learned most of my geography from playing Risk. If you're not on that board, then I don't know. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Remember to comment on the website and send your haikus and stories to goatkeeper at hotmail.com. Tune in next week for episode 18. And until then, I'm your host, Norm Sherman, reminding you to be nice to everyone, because you never know who's animated you're lugging around. And noise filled the room like the smoke. And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass. Words were all slurred when spoke. Yes, words were all splurred when spoke. In the dark corner table sits Lance Fernandez, the